0: It is football and other F-words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. He's Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike NFL. You can read all of his works uh, at paulkaharski.com. And today, he decided to put himself through some mental anguish and heartbreak and depression by writing a (laughs) 53-man roster projection 104 days away from not the start of the season. From the camp cut down. So I mean, it like we're down, talking right? yeah. a ridiculous early projection. It should have been oh. like incredibly pointless.
1: <laughs> no, no. So here's here's the point of doing it, and the reason why I ultimately wanted to do it is that I think the roster is like ninety-five percent settled right now, right? Like they may make one more move or so. Like who knows? Maybe they've got something that they're cooking up that, that is gonna surprise us all, right? But most of the roster is set for camp, I feel like, um by this point, and it's it's just a tool for me to kind of go through the roster and see like where the depth is shook has uh, like shook out after free agency after the draft, all that stuff. And it is uh, it left me in a you've accused me of being in a dark place all off season. It left me in an even darker place going through that exercise,
0: um, you know, like. I get it, but it's also like it's gonna churn so much. I, I feel like oh going yeah. Down there's
1: then. there's no way I got all fifty-three right. Like you, you know, yeah. I can't get all fifty-three right the day before cut down day. Um <laughs> I usually will get like maybe forty-nine or fifty out, out of the fifty-three, but uh yeah, there's no way that all fifty three are right. I, I I'm aware of that for sure. Well, I just wanted to see better, what it would look like. Yeah.
0: If it makes you feel any better, stacking the inbox.com, four dollars a month will get you everything that I write, everything that Trey writes. And then $5.08 a month, or month, you get all of that, plus some extra bonus stuff with Stony Keeley film footage and all that. But if it makes you feel any better, stackinginbox.com has slowly turned into a Will Levis-only article site. I can't get away from Will Levis articles to save my fucking life. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not writing them. I mean, I the other guys on the side are writing them. But like, Joe Rexroad writes one. Justin Mello has two. And they're all the same. Like, uh, those interviews well, and everything they're all the same thing that you've read in the ringer
1: they're the same I'll, I'll thing say, you've read previously i'll say rex Rhodes, i thought had some like interesting stuff on levis that i did not G- know give me I one
0: thing it. that it said that you did not know
1: i mean i think some <laughs> of the stuff about his family and and things like that and like his upbringing and the quotes getting quotes from his family and stuff like that that gave some insight because those were different like I, I agree with you that like,
0: did he have a, did, was he raised in a coal mining town and, and they didn't allow, no, I mean, it was raised in Rhode Island or somewhere like Connecticut, Connecticut you know, Connecticut. like, Oh man, in really tough times. I, I'm I not before. saying,
1: I'm not saying it's like a, a amazing origin story or whatever, but I, I do think it gives some good insight into like who he is as a person. And like, you know, the work ethic thing, all that other stuff. Now, look, I will agree with you. I we've heard we've heard from Liam Co- Liam Cohen enough. Like we're we're spent. We don't need to talk to him anymore. Um, we know what he's gonna say. But yeah. um yeah, I think from I think I thought Rexroads was really good.
0: I, I feel like that's the end of it. Like yeah, no more Will Levis background is necessary after the Joe Rexroad piece. Because I did enjoy the piece, but it just felt like this was the moment where it was done for me. Like I am finished, I don't need any more like Insight to his background, who the women are in his life, who uh, came, who, why did he leave? You know all this stuff. Like it's football time, baby. That's what I need. I need football yeah. articles or comeuppance articles. If you want to write a comeuppance piece about Will Levis, go ahead. Um, man, today Twitter has been on fire, Mike. Uh, I believe that we both have avoided being talked down to by Lance Zierline or really educated <laughs> by Lance Zierline. <laughs> Uh, this offseason, and then you also have PK going in, Mr. Name Names refusing oh, to name yeah. names. By the way, Mr. Name Names refusing to name names and j- calling Sal Sal the Sal Manfredi account dumber than Stillman. Exact <laughs> words, his words, not mine. I don't know if I technically agree because Stillman <laughs> has put out some really bad stuff, but I ain't gonna really argue with it. I just today has been kind of crazy. I mean. You got people accusing. You got Easton accusing Lance Zierlein of box score scouting about Anthony Richardson, which I thought was like
1: that was uh, a little out cover. of pocket. Little out of pocket there. Uh, if anyone is not box score scouting is Lance Zierlein, who does like four hundred fucking draft profiles for <laughs> NFL.com. I mean, even went back to watch <laughs> Colton Dal. Like he <laughs> went back
0: to watch <laughs> Colton
1: Dal <laughs> <Yeah>. games. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, yeah, Zierlein is one of the guys that I respect the most. And, uh, yeah, I, I have no problem admitting he knows way more about football than I do. Um, and if he ever claps back at me about something, I'll probably just say, okay, that's an interesting point about my day. Yeah.
0: Hey, you know, teach their own. You know, yeah. people get, I got, I, I haven't been active on Twitter this week because I thought about, yeah, you've been a quiet. The, thought about changing this to fears of the kingdom, talking about the Titans kingdom because I've been playing Tears of the Kingdom on Zelda. So uh, between barbecue okay. contests and Mother's Day and Zelda, I don't have time for all this unnecessary Titans drama on Twitter, even though I like to do drop a tweet and then kind of leave for, for a few hours. Um, oh, man, what a day. Okay, so the schedule came out, um, and you said something interesting in the chat. And I responded, but nobody else responded to to you. And I guess it's because no nobody thought that your uh, hypothetical was worth discussing. My comment kind of echoed that, but you said if the Titans go one and are heading in one and five into the bye, who is quarterback? And I said at that point, probably a fucking unicorn, like a literal unicorn or something to that effect, because that is outrageous. They're not going to go one and five on the outset. I understand, though, the question. What if it's two and four, two and four seems pretty like it's a weird beginning of the schedule.
1: Yeah, it's a hard beginning of the schedule. They, they played be- like probably six of their seven or eight most tough games in the first six weeks,
0: which I think is a good thing. Cause that's typically when they're healthiest. Um, and I know that the Titans are trying to counteract being healthy with different, weirder things, I guess, practicing harder, building calluses and all that, which we'll talk to later. But I feel like this week or this, this opening few weeks, I could see two and four, but I'm kind of landing right on the fence at three and three. Like, I think three and three is realistic and the most highly possible. I would rank it three and three, four and two, two and four, one and five. Like, as most possible to least possible. Where do you rank that?
1: I think, I think two and four is probably the most likely. Because, I mean, they're going to be they are not going to be favored in any of these games unless something dramatic changes between now and uh, the the time those games kick off, like a quarterback injury or, or something, something really weird like that. But, at New Orleans, they are not going to be favored in New Orleans. They're not going to be favored at home against the Chargers. They're, they're going to be beat New Orleans at Cleveland. Aren't Aren't they going to beat New Orleans though? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know.
0: you got Derek Carr going down there. You don't know what's happening with Alvin Kamara, but Derek Carr's first game, it always takes a new quarterback in a new team to acclimate. I mean, everybody started writing off Tom Brady before he went on to win a Super Bowl and get dragged by his corpse, got dragged by the defense, but at the beginning of the year, he kind of stunk. And if, I mean, I kind of feel like that's going to be the situation here, especially if there's no Alvin Kamara.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that the Saints are that good, but, you know, you're going on the road. I also don't think the Titans are that good, honestly. So, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with that one. I mean, could they win that game? For sure. Like, that is not a game where I'm like, oh, well, zero chance of, of them coming away from, you know, that one with a win. But I don't, I don't think I'd necessarily favor them. Um but yeah, the then saints
0: sort- reminds me, okay, sorry, I, I know I'm, I'm like interrupted you again, but like the saints remind me of 2019, the, that 2019 Cleveland Browns game. That's 2019. Right. Where they just show up. We watched it at uh nobles and they just yeah, showed yeah, yeah. up and they just blew the door off of them for, and everybody, had, that was the year that everybody crowned the Browns being, you know, the next best team. And I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like that's going to be this game. There's a lot of like, games on this front part of the schedule that reminds me of other games like the chargers game and week two reminds me of week two last year i I feel like the bills it may be closer but i feel like it's going to be just a thorough decisive win by the chargers
1: yeah i mean so there and then they go to cleveland for week three home against the bengals week four at indy week five which is to me the most winnable of of the first six and then at home against, or no, not at home, in, in London against the Ravens, which, I mean, look, there's some schedule advantages in there. I think they've got a, uh extra day preparation for um, the Chargers and Browns, I believe it is, or maybe it's the, the Browns and Bengals, I don't know. Um, either way, those teams are all better than them. I, they're all better football teams. Um, the Colts are the one game that I feel like You know that's a toss up. It's in in Indy, so who knows what Anthony Richardson's going to be in Week Five uh, of the season? But if
0: he's even playing, I'm not even convinced that he's going to be the starter by Week Five.
1: Yeah, they may
0: may wait for the bye week because you know how they are. Like Matt Ryan kind of hung around, and all these like quarterbacks kind of hang around. And for the Colts, maybe they don't do that this year. Maybe they fully break the mold. But I feel like Gardner Minshew is at least the Week One starter uh for the regular season
1: the only reason I don't think that might be the case is because I, I think the whole deal with Richardson is in, in them bringing in Steichen and everything and then pairing them two together is they're going to want to build this offense to be basically what they did in Philly with Jalen Hurts because I mean they're not exactly the same but they're you know in the similar vein from a skill set standpoint of being big and powerful in the run game being able to give you like QB power, uh kind of stuff, and then also, you know, being able to attack down the field. So I think I think to design that offense for Anthony Richardson, you kind of just need to do it from the jump because Gardner Minshew is not going to be able to do the stuff that Anthony Richardson can do. So if you were going to commit to Anthony Richardson and have him running the offense that you intend for him to run long term in Indy, I think you've got to go right now and go. You know, whereas the Titans, I think are different because I think Will Levis can run the same offense that Ryan Tannehill runs. Yeah, um,
0: but what so. if, uh, what if they, uh, sorry, I, someone sent something on, on Twitter and it is it is a car video um, by by illustrious Salman Freddy responding to PK's tweet. Uh, I'll have to watch that later. But, uh, <laughs> that was fucking car videos. Good driving me nuts. <laughs> um, the, where were we talking? Oh, but what if the Titans do something? I don't want to say foolish, but what if they do something kind of like what the Titans did last year, where it's Tannehill and then it's Malik learning a pro system, and then Malik is supposed to grow within that system? Because isn't it? I mean, he's he knows a pro system, right? Anthony Richardson does has experience in pro system, so it shouldn't be that hard. For whatever offense Shane Station is running, which you would assume is the Eagles' offense, which Gardner Minshew ran for them, that all kind of coalesces. I don't, I, I kind of think that Gardner Minshew's gonna, gonna have the, I think it's gonna be at least whatever the record is at the bye.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not impossible for sure. Maybe it is Minshew, but I, I think it would be foolish of them to, I'm with you design this thing for Anthony Richardson, then play Gardner Minshew in it as if it's, you know, know. unless unless Richardson's just not ready. I mean, you never know it's, but it's just the
0: Jalen hurts system, right? I mean, it's, it's whatever worked for them is essentially what they're likely installing, which is something that Gardner Minshew ran. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Like, I don't think, I don't think it's two wildly different systems. I think it's kind of like the Malik Willis, Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill thing is like, Dumbed down version for Anthony Richardson if he has to play. Opened up version with Gardner Minshew if he has to play. Um
1: like uh, I guess I don't I don't know. I guess I, I'd I'd say like if they're two and four at the bye, they're probably sticking with Ten Hill for the simple yeah. reason of you can still make a you can still easily go on a run. We saw him do it in a massive you know, run after twenty nineteen, schedule 19. And this schedule sets up super easy on the back half. And you would only have played one division game. And let's say that the one win or the one of the two wins is against the Colts. You still come out and beat your division and, and make up ground and win the division. So, I mean, this team isn't going to probably be competing for a wild card. I still think the AFC South is the worst division in the AFC by far. Um, It's going to be whether or not you can win the division. So it's uh, right.
0: To me, it's, it's, we've seen this team stay loyal. To its veterans and they're not get, they're going to be super loyal to ryan Tannehill because they want unless he is just a disaster an abject disaster because he can he can look great and we saw it last year and they still lose games right i mean like that's not out of the realm possibility but will levis is going to come in much like malik willis did and just suddenly give you a an entirely different dynamic or boost within this offense that Ryan Tannehill can't give you. It's not like he he can't make the offensive line better. He can't make the wide receivers better if Ryan Tannehill can't, right? So it would have to be like purely solely Ryan Tannehill's fault in a massive losing streak. Like the losing streak has to be pinpointed at Ryan Tannehill or he's injured.
1: or, or, Or I think the other scenario is that you get to a point in the season where you just don't feel like, you know, this team's got a chance to do anything from a challenging f- to win the division standpoint, and you just feel like it's time to get Levis some reps. Or, or frankly, I mean, if Levis shows that he's ready in practice, if Revis, if Levis is sitting there and hey has all the answers, he's setting the protections right in practice, and he's seems to be prepared and ready to go, and, and they would know, um, you know, that they feel like they could trust him going into the game, I, I think that may be a point where, You know, maybe Tannehill's not playing great. Maybe the team's record isn't good. They look for a spark and throw him in there and say, well, either we'll get the spark we're looking for or we'll start to take our lumps with this guy and get him some reps that will benefit him next year. So I I think that would... But I don't think that'll happen after six games. I really don't.
0: I mean, I don't like doing record predictions this early, but I am riding over at Stacking the Inbox basically... I'm taking a, a section of the schedule talking about that section and, and whatever. And I'm, I'm viewing it as the healthiest version of that team all season long versus the healthiest version of the other team all season long. Yeah. And so I, I ended up where I think that they're going to beat the Browns and I think they're going to beat the uh, I think they're going to beat the saints and they're going to lose to the chargers that's kind of where I'm out in the first three games. A little, a little spoiler alert or preview. I think I'm going to have them beat in Cincinnati. Oh my god!
1: And Cincinnati is so much they better. Barely, than they barely,
0: they barely lost to Cincinnati last
1: year. I mean, they I, lost know, on a I know, I know, I know, I know. But th- I and mean,
0: that, I don't know, man. It's at home. The, and not the, Titans, the
1: Titans beat the Bills the year before, and then they got fucking smoked by them last year. I mean, I don't know that last year's result being close means anything. But neither team has
0: made, team. neither team has made like grand strides to shape reshaping their team, except for the Titans have. I mean, technically, if you want to talk about the offensive line and talk about the offensive scheme, but you're going to have Harold Landry back by week. You know, you're going to have Harold Landry back, obviously, but week three, I mean, a healthy version of this Titans team versus the deemed-up version last year, and that was a really, really healthy Bengals team last year at that same time. I don't know. I think I may err on the side. I I, I agree with what someone that wrote this, and this is Titanic. I mean, he he's a big, like, this may be Vrabel's burner because he mentions Vrabel in every episode. That uh, I do it this one in a football show, which is okay. I agree with most of the stuff. Is Vrabel still coaching the Titans? Except for maybe Harbaugh. He is a way better coach than all the other coaches they are facing the first six weeks. And that gives me I like I feel like all these games, and I know people are gonna think that the Bengals are gonna wipe the floor with them, whatever. You want if you want to say that it that's the only non-toss-up, and then on the flip side, the Colts isn't a toss-up. The rest of these are toss-ups, and if I'm going with toss-ups, I'm siding with the team with Mike Vrabel, and and I, mean, I know that there was a seven-game losing streak, and I know injuries can happen, but you can't project and predict injuries. And well, I'm not,
1: I'm not projecting. I'm not. I, injuries, I know so. you're
0: not, but I'm just saying, you, the general, you, the, the the people listening to this, the in generalities that you just can't do it, and so it's like every game I kind of look at, I'm like, man. Mike Vrabel's gonna do something crazy on this one, or Mike Vrabel's I mean, probably gonna. Do, and it, then you got we got Henry, you got Ryan Tannehill. Then you look at who they lost and who they gained, and you're just like, I don't know, man. Like,
1: I, I I think the problem with that piece of logic though is that the Patriots would go fourteen and three every year if it just mattered who the best coach was, right? Because Bill Belichick is an incredible coach. We we can all agree on that. Um, or I guess there's some people that believe it was 100% Brady, um, but it's. Uh, mike tomlin bill belichick it's it's possible for those coaches to be beat when they're just outmanned right like and i i still and i come back to this and i've come back to this the entire offseason i think the titans talent wise are among the worst in the nfl just from a top to bottom of the roster standpoint it is to me it's a bad bad roster and i i think mike Vrabel will mask some of that but i think him masking it is going to be more like he gets them to like seven and 10 and, or eight and nine for a roster that probably should be like five and 12 or whatever.
0: Hey, let me tell you something. They're winning double. They're having double digit wins. Oh my God.
1: I can't believe you actually think
0: that. I, I can't believe how we've, how we've swapped in which we know what this means when we're on opposite sides. This guy's gonna be right and with the yes, with the uh, Memphis fuck shirt on is gonna be right, and that that would be me for the people that are listening to the podcast. I, I'm just telling you, and it's because this team is better than the team they filled it from week two point five all the way to the week eighteen last year, uh, or maybe week one point no yeah it'd be week two point five like halfway in the middle of week two. Uh, this is a better this is a better team.
1: I think it, I don't think it is. I, I think it's How the is same. it same.
0: Oh, it's look, better. I mean, the, the, Dennis. Okay. First off, no Todd Downing.
1: Okay. I, no Dennis Daly.
0: That changes that. I could end right there. I mean, this team is, is I mean, so much uh, look, better without look, those two. I
1: don't, I don't disagree that Andre Dillard will be better than Dennis Daly. We don't know that Andre Dillard is going to be good. They got worse at center. They got worse at right guard. Uh, they, they really didn't get probably, worse at right guard. It is got, a wash. They got worse at wide receiver, which was hard to do, but Chris Moore is worse than Robert Woods. And I, am. I was not a Robert Woods fan last year, but Chris Moore is worse than Robert. Woods. He's
0: better than, okay, listen, Chris Moore last year was better than Robert Woods last year.
1: I don't know if I believe that. Well, uh, I mean, we'll just, you know, he, yeah. Hey, no. hey,
0: Lance Zerline, watch the tape.
1: Yeah, okay. But, I I mean, mean, then you look defensively. I mean, yes, Harold Landry is coming back, but every player that we've seen come back from an ACL injury on this team in the last five years has come back as a much worse version of themselves in the first year back from that injury. Now, maybe Landry breaks that. You know, I I don't know. He has Um, had extra rest more than most of these other guys have His injury occurred earlier than all those other guys did. We're almost,
0: what, like a couple months away, right?
1: Yeah, it was like a month earlier than than what uh, I think Robert Woods and and some of those other guys had. But yeah, Robert Woods coming off the ACL, Robert or Taylor Lewan, Bud Dupree, Jack Conklin, all these guys coming off the ACL were you know majorly affected the next season. So I, I just think it's probably unrealistic to expect Harold Landry to come back and be like one hundred percent Harold Landry like we saw in twenty twenty one. So but you don't and need look,
0: that. You just need. For to be better than last year against this schedule, which is a much easier schedule, you just need to be he needs to be better than Rashad Weaver. Like, that's where the whoever played, I guess, the most snaps last year that wasn't named Bud Dupree, because I don't think it was Bud Dupree, but I think Weaver, I think, played like the fourth most snaps on the entire defense just because he stayed healthy. Played a lot, yeah. Yeah. So, like, he just got to be better than him. It's like Andre Dillard's just got to be better than you know, um, what's well, the
1: problem? I, I mean, like- I don't know. I, I'm not sure I'm buying that because look, we're, here's where we're, we're falling into this thing where we're doing, okay, well, we're comparing this team fully healthy to last year's team with like all of the top guys injured, which they sent all you know the, when all of the top guys got injured, they sucked and they lost seven straight games. And, and you know, obviously we, we know what happened at the end of the season. They got rid of all those guys, all those guys that got hurt and caused them to suck. They got rid of them and they're no longer on the team, which they weren't really replaced. That's the thing. I mean, like I'll say Arden Key and Bud Dupree probably is about a wash. I'm not sure any of the other ones are really washes. If you look at healthy 2022 Titans versus healthy 2023 Titans, I think healthy 2023 Titans are clearly worse. Um, and there are going to be injuries and that's part of like what I wrote about today and we don't have to like go super deep into it but the depth is non-existent like at any of these spots there are one uh like Amani Hooker injury which by the way Amani Hooker gets injured all the time from starting Tyreek Jones from Boise State undrafted rookie I, I mean like what are we talking about here like this thing is one Josh injury Malou's from eventually disaster get or something. at like nearly every position on the roster it, it's scary how shallow this roster is um
0: but that's how it was last year
1: no it wasn't it wasn't not that bad because what you had last year was when these guys got hurt you had you know bud dupree and rashad weaver stepping up well now like rashad weaver is expected to be like a regular piece of the rotation not like a fallback plan he's not you know a depth guy at this point he is
0: but know, he is a depth guy he's not a
1: starter well, he's not a so, starter, but he's like a regular rotational guy. He's not a guy I, I that think, you're like... I think
0: his snaps are going to go down than what they were last year.
1: I mean, maybe maybe if everyone stays healthy, I mean, again... like
0: and They may even go down because he may get through with that court case. Who knows what's going to happen with that?
1: Yeah. Or, yeah, or he gets suspended, and then all of a sudden, but your, again, your then you're edge to rusher three injuries. is, is I'm just Thomas Rush, un- undrafted free agent rookie. You know? Like, that's where we're at with this roster. I, I think that's why... I, I continue to to just think that like look, maybe if they all stay healthy, maybe if they hit on all these like guys like you know Dillard, uh if if Aaron Brewer, you know, is a much, much, much better center than he was at left guard. If uh, you know, NPF takes a big leap, if Burks takes a big leap, if Chig takes a big leap, if all these guys play like way, way better than they did last year, yes, they could be good. I just think that what we're looking at is like all those guys have to do all those things. They have to be a whole lot better. And and the chances are that some of those guys are going to stink or take steps back or get hurt or whatever. And then they're going to be starting UDFAs because they, when I filled out my 53 man roster, 11 of the 53 were either first or second year undrafted guys, 20%, 20% of the fucking roster. It's insane. Like that is scary, scary stuff to me just projecting this team and thinking that they're going to be like a, you know, legitimate playoff contender.
0: Oh, I, I I think they're winning the division. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, this, this idea that the, the Trevor Lawrence we saw in like weeks was it like weeks seven through 14 or something like that is like the real Trevor Lawrence color me a little skeptical, not saying it couldn't happen, but color me a little skeptical that that, that little small sliver is the real Trevor Lawrence. I and he doesn't play very well against the Tennessee (laughs) Titans. But here's the thing.
1: Here's the thing. We do this with Trevor Lawrence. We say, "Well, he was only good for a little bit." You know, they do the exact same thing with Traylon Burks and like all these other guys on the Titans. Where we're saying, "We're." I'm just saying, like, if we're sitting here saying, "Well, Trevor Lawrence isn't really that good. He only played a few good games," then why are we saying that Traylon Burks is about to break out and be awesome? You know, like. You can't be totally optimistic about one side and totally not about well, the other. I think
0: side. I think there's there's less evidence, there's less conclusive evidence of what Traylon Burks actually is. So when you're doing a projection, there isn't like some it is a projection because you've only seen like four games of Traylon Burks. With Trevor Lawrence, we've seen now two full seasons of Trevor Lawrence, and I I just don't buy into this whole and I never have into this whole Doug Peterson is an excellent coach. This what this team did in the offseason is is a team is they're acting like they're a team that went 13 and uh, was it now 13 and four or fourteen and three last year when they really just are a Josh Dobbs fumble away from not even making it to the playoffs. Like, I don't know. Like I just don't I don't look at this Jaguars team as I think I think it's a, a team that you split with. They're not a team that you sweep. But I look at this Jaguars team and Trevor Lawrence is gonna have to prove it to me. And listen, I'm a guy who has said Traylon Burks, until he tells me and shows me, he's a wide receiver too and in the NFL. Now, does he have a chance and opportunity to prove me wrong? Sure. Same as Trevor Lawrence. But I'm I'm trying to be realistic on both sides when I talk about Traylon Burks when I talk about this. I know that the Titans are wanting Traylon Burks to be a wide receiver one in the send have i know that have him be a wide yeah, one. I, I know that i know that uh other people think that a healthy Traylon burks is just as good as a healthy aj brown i don't know but like to me it's like the what i've seen from Traylon burks so far i feel like is a wide receiver too i, th-
1: I think burks is going to be really good i i do i think he's going to be I think he's going to be better than Corey Davis, worse than AJ Brown, whatever that makes him. Kind of in that like wide receiver one B kind of category is probably the most likely landing place. Now, I think there is a scenario where he ends up being a true wide receiver one, and and that would be awesome top ten elite guy. I think that's certainly possible, but I, I just don't know that. Like, I mean, to me, the entire Titans offense, with the exception of Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry, who we know what they are, but they're both also declining players. Uh, at this point in their career is all projection. It's a hundred percent projection at literally every position across the roster. Um, and that scares the shit out of me because I, you're relying on a lot of people to hit and do things that they've never done before, which is possible. Uh, I'm not saying it's not that, that there's no hope for the season whatsoever. I'm just saying that if you're being realistic, I think it's, Mike Vrabel's gonna have to do a fucking whale of a coaching job, he's capable of that. But I mean, this roster is bottom, at least bottom ten in the NFL, if not bottom five.
0: I think I think they're gonna get. I like my minimum and maximum is like ten wins. Like, I feel like ten wins is spot on for this team, and that's just because of the schedule and that they're gonna be really a lot better and out. They're gonna be able to out coach really other and take advantage of other poor teams throughout the schedule that's littered in the back half. They just really got to get through this first half healthy because they're going to have, they have such a big rest advantage. And what have we talked about Mike Vrabel all the time throughout his career is that when he has extra rest or he has a rest advantage, he's really fucking good. And he's going to have a, one of the best rest advantages in the NFL this year, and it, really, they're almost of all time,
1: I mean it, he'll, he'll the rest thing is good, it'll help some, but I mean a lot of it, you know, I think that's really probably congregated around what maybe two two games where they have like a real rest advantage, like you know the one where they're coming off the Thursday night game, uh I think it's when they play the bucks, they'll have a real rest advantage, and then when they play the Falcons, they'll have a real rest advantage. Those are two games they should win anyways, um. So I don't, I just don't know that that's going to be as big of a deal. Uh, maybe it has a better cumulative effect than it does over like, than it does like on just specific games. But um, I don't know. I, I just, I continue to just struggle with this team, seeing them being a playoff team. I, I just.
0: I don't think they're going to be a good playoff team, but I think they're going to be a playoff team. That's going to get their buttholes think, kicked in. You I know, think you're and,
1: you're the reason you believe they're going to be a playoff team is more of a lack of faith in the Jaguars than it is a like I seriously think no I I a think the Tennessee team.
0: Titans are gonna be like I feel like this is a very much a 2016 Tennessee Titans team. Let me say something. This is not the worst wide receiver core we've seen filled it by the Tennessee Titans. I it's a bad one. But it's definitely yeah, not the worst we've seen. It's probably not biggest, as right?
1: bad as Tajay Sharp and Richard Matthews were Wh- that year.
0: Which was a 2016 team that went nine and seven. If Marcus hadn't gotten injured on Christmas Eve, they would have been a playoff team. So I'm just telling you this 2016 team has so much similarities to, or the 2016 team and this 2023 team have so many similarities it is driving me nuts. I can't quit putting together and making the connections. This is going to be a playoff team and they're, it's going to suck because then they're going to get their crap kicked in <laughs> coming up in the playoffs. And then we're at home and we're just going to be like, Oh, same old Titans. And then, you know, what's going to happen. They make the playoffs with the Ryan Tannehill and he's probably going to be on the team next year, which would be insane. Oh, or him actually- and Henry.
1: <laughs> that that actually may be the worst case scenario is they just keep hanging <laughs> on to these two guys for forever, well past their prime, and and think that that's going to fix things. But I yeah, think I, I think they're setting themselves up for 2024. I think that really is what they're doing with the roster right now.
0: Yeah. Section 240, uh, new new podcast uh, or new YouTube uh, video channel uh, started by at Bonafide Bro. Really well done uh, stuff. Yeah, if you very, haven't watched very cool it. Logo. yeah, very cool logo. And and everything about me, like he's got like 4K cameras shooting in 24 FPS. I mean, he's like going crazy. Um, but he, he says if the offensive line is fixed, then we might have a shot. And really, it just has to be fixed to like a mediocre degree. And that's all I. That's all this team needs.
1: Yeah. I, I and again, maybe this is where my pessimism for this team comes from. Is I just don't. I have less faith faith than most people that the offensive line is fixed. I, I think. There's just so many question marks I, I, and I, if all the answers to those question marks are on the plus side, then great. They'll probably be at least average, Um, you know, maybe even slightly above average. If Dillard is awesome and turns out to be more like the first round pick that he was coming out of college than the guy that barely played for the Eagles. If Skoronsky is one of those rare rookies that's that hits the ground running and is awesome from day one. If Brewer clicks at center, if, you know, Brunskill is fine at right guard and if NPF takes a huge step forward at right tackle, they could actually be good if all those things happen. I think I think more likely than not, we see some mixed bag in there and we've still got, you know, one or two major weaknesses on that five man starting offensive line. And look again, heaven forbid Anybody on that starting offensive line gets hurt because guess who the top offensive lineman is coming off the bench? It's Jamarco Jones, and he'd have to be the backup for like every single spot. And after that, I'm I guess Corey. I mean Corey Levin's probably just an interior player. But if another tackle got hurt, uh, and Jalen Duncan, baby, Jalen Duncan's probably going in there. And I don't. I think Jalen Duncan's a guard. So I I mean, I just I the depth is really really bad again. Um, so I, I don't, I just don't know. I, I I don't have a ton of confidence in the offensive line as a whole.
0: I just think, you know, the, the coaching changes and section 240 brings us up too. And I brought it up earlier about the, the coaching changes are, are such a net positive, both on Chris Harris, Tim Kelly, and the way they've reshifted the entire offense that it sounds like to me, that Coach Haas is 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 taking the playbook out of what good offensive line coaches do, and that's an open dialogue with its players, talking about what they've seen. And this kind of will take us into what the uh, the press conference was all about. And we got a lot of good insight from the press. I I mean that press conference was what four people, and yeah. it went almost a full hour, which seems like it was really really long. All of them I could hear talk about various things and all this stuff that's going on with the team. But I think that when you look at it, we'll start off with Coach Austin's so we were just talking about. Him. We've heard stuff from Jalen Duncan, who I agree with you that I, I think if you needed him to play right away, Jalen Duncan's best spot would be a guard. But I think he is very much a Dennis Kelly-esque player in that he's super athletic, and he has the length to play tackle, but you may not want to be trusting him to play 17 games at tackle. You know, Dennis Kelly did a good job that year that I said that, you know, it's kind of scary. But, like, not- I feel like that's the c- career projection – is he is he's a swing tackle, and if you get someone that is turns into a left tackle or right tackle, wherever you may want to slot him in for the long haul, that's great. But I think realistically, he is going to be your second swing tackle coming off behind Jamarco Jones.
1: Yeah, and also this is assuming Dylan Radens is is hurt to yeah, start the right. season and unavailable, which I think is almost a lot given when his injury occurred. But my point with Jalen Duncan. it is a length thing again like the reason that I don't think Skaronsky is going to end up at tackle is that he has 32 and a quarter inch arms Jalen Duncan has 33 inch arms which is way longer than Skaronsky uh, but it's still 13th percentile and and that is really low for an offensive tackle now he could uh, feasibly play tackle a little bit I could buy it a little bit more from just a pure length standpoint than than I could with Skaronsky but I still think Moving him inside probably gives him the best chance to actually be a positive starter. Well, he's uh,
0: also got a lot of technique to learn because he lot, was yeah. that that to me is like when you don't you have to find ways to mask the technique of a player if you are forced to start him. And so I would think that through some magic uh moving parts that they would rather have Jalen Duncan be a guard if someone goes down than they would attack him. They would make shifts to put him somewhere else. Now, listen, I I think eventually he can learn and grow into a, a tackle, but it's not one of those things where like when I, I view a player, I want to think about someone like Jalen Duncan. I want to, I want to figure out what's the best way for that's mutual beneficial that he is a good player and it makes the team better. And I feel that that could be kind of a guard situation, but He says, we got way off track. He says, Coach Haas, um, you know, talked to him, had spent a lot of time with him. Uh, They talked about collaboration, communication between the two. Aaron Brewer mentioned the same thing. Daniel Brunskill mentioned the same thing. Stuff like that, to me, lets me know that a lot of our, a lot of the Titans issues that we have perceived over the years Kind of does stem from the coaching and I'm hoping that the better coaching and technically more athletic off the first step, which we'll get into in here in just a second players is a good combination for not just a run game, but more importantly for the pass protection.
1: Yeah. And I, I do think that there's some hope there. And look, I mean, frankly, we know almost nothing about coach Haas besides, you know, I mean, he was a, I guess head coach at, at a lower level. And he was offensive line coach for, I think Wagner or something like that. Two years ago when the Titans found him and brought him in, but you know, Vrabel spoke extremely highly of him, talked about, you know, that that was possibly the best interview he'd ever had with an assistant coach when, when he promoted him to offensive line coach uh, after Keith Carter was, was shown the door and look, the comments from the players so far in this off season, make it very clear that Keith Carter, it was his way or the highway. There was no flexibility. And I actually listened to um I think it was the athletic football show uh podcast recently on this and, and they had Jess Schwartz on and uh I think it was um God, I'm trying to blank I'm blanking on the other offensive lineman. It was a former Patriots uh tackle I think that they had on. Um with him, and they were just talking about coaching and and offensive line play and why guys bust and and things like that uh, among offensive linemen specifically and one of the things they talked about was uh, coaches really like making sure that whatever technique they may prefer or coach, that if it just does not work for a certain guy, being flexible and and working with a guy to develop something that the coach can live with and that the player can execute is important. And that, that to me kind of rings true when you're talking about Keith Carter, that if Keith Carter was so rigid that he clearly was just not giving these guys any flexibility with the techniques that they were executing or, or how they were, were stepping or whatever, and gave them no flexibility on, on being comfortable. And that could have contributed to some of the problems that we saw on the offensive line. And, and all indications are that, that Haas is way more of a, a player's coach, so to speak, and, and willing to talk to guys and, and get feedback. And, you know, there, there was the comment about, uh, I think, was it from Skoronsky or was it Brun school? I can't remember which one it was now that said, you know, he was more of taking them aside and saying, okay, slow down. Um, you know, there's going to be mistakes. We understand that. I know Brunskill said it. I didn't listen to the Skronsky.
0: Uh, I didn't listen to the, the, uh, rookie. Oh, that was actually
1: really good too. Well,
0: you know, it's very hit or miss. You know, I was at the, I was at the barbecue contest. I I did see all the media people continue to ask Tajay Spears why he's hurt and refer to him as hurt and injured, which are just idiots at this point. And I argued Uh, oh yeah, well, I'm, I'm pissed for him. Uh, because, like, I told Braden, he goes, well, they just want to hear it from him. Go fucking find that podcast. Go look on Twitter. Go look at the articles where he's talked about, like, do you really need to ask him about it to confirm that he doesn't have one? Like, there's m- various ways that you could have found that he doesn't have one where he states that he does not have one. So, like, you know, yeah. I don't know.
1: I, I mean, hopefully cool. – Hopefully, we're done with that conversation and, and several other But, like, like you know, yeah.
0: some, I saw a cl- when I saw a clip of someone asking Will Levis about getting an autographed cleat or football from Mike Vrabel back in like 2004, I, I was like, well, there's just nothing good coming from these because those are pointless fucking questions that are ridiculous. And someone, whoever asked it, and I can assume that it was probably Jim Wyatt. I'm just like I mean, I'm not, are these, these stupid, like I'm, I need to know like pertinent stuff. And uh, if you don't have a pertinent question to ask, just don't ask a question. Get those kids out of there.
1: It's an, I will say that it, that's an interesting anecdote in that, like, you know, he was uh, grew oh. up a Patriots fan going to Patriots camp while his head coach now was, was one of the players. I think that's actually kind of an interesting thing to learn about him. Um, no, but <laughs> to, me to me, it is, to me, it is, to me, it is. But I, I think, what are we, where do we, we get off track again? Oh, well, we I was just talking about, excited. like, I didn't
0: I didn't watch any of them, so I, I don't know if oh, Skaronsky yeah, yeah. said no, the same thing. It, that was, was definitely Brunskill. by Daniel Brunskill. Brunskill.
1: But, yeah, so Coach Haas, I, I do think, is a totally different stylistic coach, and maybe that will help this group. And, look, they are athletic. They're super athletic. Um, you know, Dillard is an, an uber athlete. Skaronsky's an uber athlete. Brewer's an uber athlete. I think Brunskill's an okay athlete. And uh, Petit Frere is just okay too. So the right side is a little less athletic than the left, but it is an athletic bunch as a whole. And if they can find out a way to make all this work, you know, they could have a really, you know, interesting group. So I, I think, I think Haas is, I think offensive line coaches in general are, are among the most, if not the most position coach, like important position coach on an NFL coaching staff. Um, cause you can see like the kind of advantage that the Eagles get, um, from, from, uh, and I'm blanking on his name now too. Um, Who's the Eagles Stoutland, Jeff oh, Stoutland. Yes, sorry. Um, sorry.
0: I, I was four teams that failed the off season via NF, former NFL GM, Jeff Diamond. Who the fuck is Jeff Diamond? What?
1: <laughs> I can't, what's I he can't remember. EGM? I can't remember who he was GM for. I want to say dolphins. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe That's I'm Jeff Ireland mixing. though. Oh yeah, maybe maybe that's who I was thinking of. I don't know. Um, oh, Minnesota but anyways,
0: Vikings it, from seventy-six to ninety-eight.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Uh, okay. Um, yeah, you're, you're real relevant, Jeff Diamond. But he but, had the title, uh, but that's just something funny.
1: I, I think I think the if Haas works out, then that's a huge deal for them because they need somebody in that role that can be like A real developer of talent because, look, they're young uh, on that group now. Like, Brunskill's a little bit older. I think Brunskill's 29, but all of the other starters— I think he's
0: 27 going on 28, but no, you could be right. Either way, it doesn't matter.
1: And and Dillard may be 28. I I think Dillard's a little bit on the older end as well, but the rest of those guys are all, you know, 24 or younger um between brewer and and mpf and then all the depth guys too besides really jamarco jones and jordan Ruse. so um it is a young group it is a group that's going to need to be developed together and if if haas is a great coach and you know i hope he is uh that could be a huge difference
0: well and the good news is as we talked about it for forever is at least what seems to be this go around this off season day one, of training camp there or OTAs, whatever's up next, I guess the OTAs is, uh, is going to have the first time rookies and veterans are practicing together. Going to have the offensive line firmly set up. It, they know who their left tackle is. Their left guard is their center, the right guard and the right tackle is day one of these off season activities. And yeah, there's going to be some competitions, but that's your starting five. And that's, we haven't been able to say that for a while because last year is like, well, is Aaron Brewer or Jamarco Jones, which we kind of knew Aaron Brewer at the get-go. Is NPF going to win the right tackle job? You know, yeah. this, this time it seems pretty straightforward.
1: I think those are definitely your starting five and in those positions left to right. But I think the most interesting thing, honestly, when we get to camp for the offensive line is going to be who lines up where with the second unit? Because, you know, they were playing Jamarco Jones at left guard, but he's also played right tackle. Um, Jalen Duncan, does he end up starting out at guard or does he start at tackle? Uh, you'd imagine, I mean, Corey Levin's almost certainly going to be the second team center. Um, but then who's, who else is in there? You know, is it, is it John Ajuquo, the uh, uh, undrafted tackle from Boise State? And I'd, I'd assume Jordan Roos, Andrew Rupsich. Uh, probably is in the mix. So there's a group and how the they split up, like where, who goes where with that second team offensive line will be very interesting and could tell us a little bit about like, you know, where those guys stack up and where they project like a guy like Jalen Duncan to play at the next level. So I, I'll be interested to kind of track that.
0: Uh, you know, you, you, you got hype off the Traylon Burks comments and all this kind of stuff. Uh, You're in the chat. I mean, not like, you know, a hype is saying that he's going to be AJ Brown, but like, <laughs> you like, you, you love what you saw. Yeah. It shows you've like got a you lot heard. of confidence and everything. Well,
1: we, and, and we, we've, we've always talked about, we like when guys stay in Nashville and train yeah. with the team during the off season, it shows commitment. It shows, you know, being with the coaching staff, being with your teammates, that kind of thing. I, I think that kind of stuff matters. And he did that. Um, and it sounds like he's in much better shape and he sounds super confident. So I, I came away feeling good from that press conference with Burks. Now, ultimately, that means Jack Diddley. I mean, if he doesn't come out in shape for training camp, then, you know, we'll all be saying, well, then you wasted all of our time back in May. But um, it it was a positive-sounding Burks. It's kind of like Roger McCreary,
0: right? Like, you you like what you heard. You like the changes and the recognizing of stuff they could do better in their second year. And that's why so many people typically do make a second year leap, right? Like your, your leap candidates ha- is, this team is littered with them. Uh, but you like what they, what they do in the off season and they are doing everything right. And so I hope, I hope I'm with you that everything that Traylon Burks has done turns into something on the field, you know, putting the words into action. That's kind of the big theme because the Tennessee Titans have talked about being fast and violent. And we have talked ad nauseum, you and I, on this podcast, what being fast technically means. And just now, the rest of media is catching up with us. I mean, we're just, we're trailblazers, Mike. We are the fast ones. We're, we are an up tempo offense wearing way, and they're basically exotic smash mouth back in the, back in the day and the rest of media because. Everybody's now like, oh, well, I guess it means that they're just going to be kind of quick off the ball and explode off the ball. Well, that's kind of what we've been saying, it's about instincts. like, But we're hearing it, right? Like Everything that the team is doing is to basically outlast <laughs> the other team. And you have a good Logan Ryan quote that, that you have echoed now a couple of a weeks in a row, but I want you to echo it again what that Logan Ryan quote is and how it relates to Traylon Burks and this team.
1: Yeah, so it was something that he said actually on Good Morning Football, I think a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking specifically about Cooper Cup. And Cooper Cup famously ran like 4-6 or something like that uh, coming out of, uh, well, where did he come from, Eastern Washington or something like that? Um, mm-hmm. But Cup ran 4-6. And so there, the question was, how is he this good? if he is a four, six guy, right. And uh, part of Logan Ryan's answer, you know, part of it, he talked about instincts and just, you know, natural ability, route running ability, that kind of thing. But then he also talked about how good a shape Cooper cup is in and how well conditioned he is as an athlete. And he said, sometimes over the course of a game, a four, six guy can be faster than a four, four guy, because if a four, four guy isn't in shape, then he's really a four, eight guy by the end of that game. And, and he's, you know, gasping for air and not, he's not running four, four when he's, you know, fatigued basically. So I I think that is something in, in this whole conditioning thing and everything like that, they seem to be going super aggressive with is trying to get, you know, Hey, we may not be the fastest team based on 40 times, uh, in the league, but we're going to be the fastest team at the end of the games because we're going to have better conditioning than everyone else. So, I, I think that is a very pertinent quote, especially to Burks specifically, because he was a four, five, five guy, I think, uh, yeah. in the combine. But if he's running four, five, five in the fourth quarter, then he's going to be one of the fastest guys on the field. So,
0: well, and you look at it from a standpoint of what Daniel Brunskill said, what Sean Murphy Bunting has said, what Ah uh, Aziz Al Shayer said, "They all said this is an we are hitting the sleds on Monday, and this is something that we've never done before and experienced before." And Brunskill tied it directly into when the San Francisco lost in to well, when the Titans beat San Francisco in 2021, and he mentions I think they were down to like their fifth string offensive lineman starting. But they were all clearly in shape and willing to go the distance and wore our ass out. And that's that matters. That also matters when they're going to get to 10 wins this year and make it <laughs> to the playoffs, like I said. But it lo- but here's the question. And of course, they could have asked Burks, but Burks went on first. So they're going to have to wait till the next go around of press conferences to ask Is this the same stuff they've been doing? Because, you know, they, uh, Brunskill, I think, said it the most, but they all mentioned the word callus. so they got their little talking points uh, down. So here are words to use. Callous is one of them. And we know that Mike Vrabel talked about building calluses, but is this a new thing for this year? Or is it the same as the previous years? Because Mike Vrabel also talked about basically practices, needing rest days this and that and not going too hard in practices then they turn around and do this so what what is it what is your feeling not necessarily because you don't know but what is your feeling of what this is going to turn out to be
1: i i think i i don't know if the sled thing specifically is new for them but it seems to me like maybe this is an increase over what they've done in previous years um and and maybe that this is geared towards hey we're not going to have a bunch of guys pulling hamstrings when uh you know camp starts in in July um and and you know if that's their answer to the injury thing then i think you've got to let them try to solve this problem you know it, i i think we know that it's a problem we know that one of the answers is that they believe field turf on in the stadium is going to help versus having the the grass field that's always bad by the end of the season um but maybe that this is another part of what they feel like the answer is to their injury problems is is better conditioning during the off season um that can help their guys be in better shape come training camp and help them avoid soft tissue injuries and and whatnot so we'll see i mean like the proof will be in the pudding right like it's it'll either work or it won't um, but I'm interested to see if, if this is new and, and we can get confirmation of that, then it'll be interesting to kind of see if that pans out over the course of the season.
0: Were you a little surprised? Nobody asked, uh, Sean Murphy bunting if, you know, what's it like learning from Kevin Byard or talking to Kevin Byard at these things? Cause I would have liked to have known if Kevin Byard was there. Cause I'm assuming he's not.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not surprised. Well, I guess I am a little surprised nobody asked him about that. But, um, yeah, I'd assume Bayard's not there, and Henry. I've not seen anything of Henry because you, he, you know, you can look Please. through some of these videos and you kind yeah. of see. So I don't, I don't think Henry's there. Tannehill's clearly there. They should which, keep showing him,
0: which I want to bring up by the way. So is there because this ties into Al Sheer's comment that like they can't believe that Ryan Tannehill is doing all the same drills that they are doing. And, and, and listen, yeah, section 240 is right. Henry is never at this portion. Yeah. He always goes. I'm not too worried. He's fine. Yeah. But for all the work or for all the people that said that Ryan Tannehill was a shitty leader, because he didn't come out and say, Oh, I'm going to coddle and mentor Malik and all this stuff. And I kept saying, no, he's a good leader. You you he's just not your type of leader. Here he is, been here at all the offseason programs. He's been doing all the drills, which maybe he's always done them, and they're just surprised that you know, maybe Aziz Al is just surprised that um their their quarterbacks are healthy enough in Tennessee to actually do these drills without getting injured. Um but I just want to point out that where are all you people con- that condemned Ryan Tannehill condemning Kevin Byard? Because I don't see anybody condemning Kevin Byard for not showing up. And listen, I didn't condemn Ryan Tannehill for not showing up, and I sure as hell ain't condemning Kevin Byard for not showing up. He's he's built up a lot of goodwill to not have to show up, and we know that he's going to be in good shape when he does show up. But that is still just shows the levels of hypocrisy if you're going to do it one way, you need to do it the other way. But I also wonder, though, how long is this going to drag out with Kevin Byard?
1: That'll be interesting.
0: That is a because... storyline that, that's not being talked about. That's kind of why I'm a little surprised. Maybe they're just waiting for it to happen, but that does seem like national media to wait to propose a go-off-the-rails on a subject of that they may not be ready for. But it is something that I think that needs to be taken into account that Kevin Bayard hasn't been at any of the things this off season. And he normally is like, that is the key thing. He is normally there at these things.
1: Well, I think we'll know in what one, two, three weeks because mandatory minicamps June 6th. Um, and so that'll be the first mandatory off season season. Uh, program so if uh if byard is not there on june 6th then we have a story i think because i mean up until i mean i i guess the the media maybe maybe they've gotten tired of asking because i remember they've asked they asked in previous off seasons about you know who isn't there why isn't everyone there and and brable always says well these aren't mandatory these are voluntary ota's you know if they don't want to be here they don't have to be here all that so Maybe they're just tired of getting that answer um, and uh, have kind of given up. But I, I think that'll be the date is June 6th. If June 6th comes and, and he's not there, then that, that will be when that story starts.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because that's, that's something you got to kind of like keep tabs on. Because if he's not showing up, there's something a little bit more behind the scenes than than what people are wanting to let on that there is right. Like people will have been trying to push off on the fact, well, there's no like contentious relationship or anything, but I don't know. Kind of the, the seeds have been planted. The groundwork has been laid. It's like, we're basically coming up on the, the fork in the road for the Tennessee Titans and Kevin Byard. It could go either way. Like I I'm like 50, 50, I could go either way. Yeah. I mean, there's been
1: no resolution to this point. Right. Yeah. Either way. So, um, yeah, it feels like there's still another part of that story to come. Yeah,
0: uh, anything I'm missing that you want to talk about that we didn't get to?
1: Uh, any rookie minicamp thoughts generally? No, it, I thought it, I thought it, uh, it was
0: it was okay. Like I think of the clips I saw, like the actual like clips of stuff going on and like on the field.
1: Eh. It's
0: I mean, way better than what last year was. I mean, I can all, say that.
1: <laughs> all the guy, I will say this: all all the guys that were out there that you saw kind of looked like what you expected to to see from them. I mean, it, we didn't need the the clips from rookie minicamp to know that Will Levis had an incredible release and arm and and you know physical skill set and all that stuff. Um, obviously, it's it's always different to actually see it, um, but. Nobody needed to see that if you'd watched him play in college to know that those things were true. Um, same thing with Tajay Spears being, or Tajay Spears. I got to quit saying Tajay. I'd read it that way for too long in my brain. And now, now that I know it's different, I'm trying to rewire. Um, but Tajay Spears, like having an incredible burst and like looking really quick in the open field, didn't He'd... need to see him do that to, to know. Well, speaking
0: um, of rookie Minicamp and, and Stillman and, sal and dumb takes and all that kind of stuff um stillman on monday put out am i the only one who thought that ty j spears did not have a good rookie mini camp and i'm thinking yes yes and if you thought that then you literally are scraping the bottom of the barrel of faux outrage for your radio show
1: yeah i mean I, i i have not heard anyone else say that um, publicly or privately, who was there? So I, I think uh, yes, Stillman is probably the only one who thought that.
0: <laughs> Ridiculous <laughs> that this—he's uh, never going to let the Spears pick go. Um, but yeah, I mean, rookie minicamp was rookie minicamp. I mean, I will say that this, these, I have—I um, guess the way to put it—a little bit more faith that these rookies are going to attack the off-season activities better than pre uh, the last couple of rookie classes, including last year's class, uh, where at least two starters came from. And you're only going to probably have l- one starter out of this, but I think that the way that the, the people that they drafted seem, they first up they look like football players, uh, everybody looks like a football player, and I and what I mean by that is that they look in shape, they look the part, they look professional, they look like football players. Secondly, it seems like they all have really good heads on their shoulders, as far as their when they're talking to the media and everything. And then I feel like they all legit kind of have something to prove almost at every level, except for maybe Skaronsky, but Skaronsky is probably the most pro-ready of them all, so he doesn't really have that much to prove, but it feels like they all have a little something to prove, and I think that's going to go a long way for this rookie class being a really good, dependable class. I don't think it'll be 2019, but I think it could be a class that you could see contribute over the next four years in various different ways.
1: I will say, um, I think particularly particularly the top two picks with with Skaronsky and Levis, I have a ton of trust in both of those guys being professionals. Like, they are going to carry themselves as professionals. They are going to do everything they can to get better every day. Like, I I really feel like going into that, um, like going into camp, Those two are going to be prepared every day. You don't have to worry about whether they're going to be out, you know, partying or, you know, and not studying their playbook or whatever. I think those two, you have 100% trust. And and look, frankly, all all of the rookie class have said the right things. I, I mean, I think maybe the biggest thing I took away from rookie minicamp was Colton Dowell talking about rooming with Will Levis and being scared to touch the remote because Levis got there first and was, has literally been in his iPad every single time he's been in the room studying plays and Dowell's like afraid to turn on the NBA playoffs or whatever it is he wants to watch. Um, I, I think that's telling about the kind of person Will Levis is because I, I think that goes along with the Rex Road article and all these other articles that we've heard and, and read um, recently about him is that he is going to be a maniacal worker and I I have zero doubt that he's going to know this offense forward and backwards sooner rather than later. And that it is not going to be a mental problem with him knowing what to do that holds him back. So I, I think that is something that I feel like you can go to sleep at night, not wondering whether Will Levis is going to be prepared or not. And I think that's a huge deal for coaches. And I think the same goes for Skronsky. And I, I was impressed. I it, I was super it feels impressed like with that Dowell. for all of them. Yeah, right? I, like, I kinda, so. I,
0: to me, it's like, To me, it's like this is the kind of draft class that can lay foundation for future draft classes. They may all may not be hits, but at least now we know definitively that when they say they're getting guys that love football, they're not blowing smoke up our ass like the previous regime did, like when John Robinson did. They're legit getting guys that are dedicated to their craft, love football, and going to give everything they got to try and do something to make a impression on this team. Jalen Duncan's probably the furthest from that. But even then, I mean, you're talking about a guy that went to O-line masterminds, that has put in the work in the offseason. It's been already talking to Coach Haas all offseason. season been like a
1: five-year starter or something yeah, like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. I would be hard. I I just think that there's a harder path for him to be a contributor this year, barring injury, obviously. But like Colton Dow can easily be a contributor there's there's nobody standing in his way pretty much if he he puts in the work with will levis and if will levis is probably going to do what we think he i think he's going to do is probably going to have we're going to have a couple of stories of him throwing doing throwing camps during their downtime and you know having the rookies out there you you know he's going to be out there doing all that so i don't know like I, i i like this rookie class from the outset even though you know i did my comeuppance i i feel like if will levis is gonna fail it's gonna fail because of the attributes of being a quarterback he couldn't get it's not because of his personality it's not because that he's a bad worker or anything and i feel like that about the whole team like the whole team isn't gonna fail for a lack of trying and effort yeah well sorry yeah. the whole rookie class not the whole team
1: i i would agree with that And and i think that's positive from a Rand Carthon' standpoint, looking at him and and what kind of team he's trying to build, I feel like these are all guys that are pretty smart, um, pretty conscientious, and and hardworking. And I will say that one other thing that I I liked that I heard coming out of minicamp was uh, I heard Josh Wiley looked incredible. Um, that that he looked super athletic uh, as a route runner and and catching the ball downfield, um, which we saw the one clip uh, of him catching a ball deep from Levis, and then there was obviously. Discussion like of another play um, where that ended, I guess, rookie minicamp where Levis threw it up and and Wiley went and jumped and and got it in a crowd, um, which of course Frable said maybe don't throw it into a team meeting next time or whatever. But um, I I think that Wiley, I'm very encouraged by what I've heard from about Wiley so far.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's I I'm just thinking it's a really good foundational kind of draft class that can. If the guys all stay healthy, like, I, I feel like that's the big thing, right? It's because we've gone through two years of, you know, 90 plus injuries every year. Like, if this rookie class stays healthy in this year, this is a positive development, not just for this year, but for future years, you're, you're starting to build a younger foundation of core, what can be core pieces for this team. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I, I just I've thoroughly enjoyed this draft class. I can't wait to see, you know, OTAs, training camp and all that kind of stuff and see them build off what seemed to be a pretty good rookie mini camp.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and, w-
0: and I'll, yeah. by the way, all the free agents that they signed echo this same kind of mentality chip on the shoulder coming in to do whatever they want, have good heads on their shoulders. Kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see how things shake out in camp, I think, because there is a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of battles down the depth chart. Like, I I think the starters are almost completely set on both sides of the ball, Um, really almost by default. Um, But down below where you're looking at who's going to actually make the 53, there's going to be a lot of interesting battles uh, to see who can kind of step up and grab roles. And and look, they're going to have to have some young guys on this team. Just because of the the way that the roster is built, um, and it, that's always somewhat exciting. It's also maybe not always the best thing for immediate returns, but um, hopefully you, you find some gems and and uh, can kind of like you said, they desperately like they had to find building blocks, on, especially on offense, and they got six shots at it out of the draft. Yeah, um, so that's a good thing.
0: Well, that will do it for us. Football and other f words brought to you by Bluegrass Beverages. Because I, I think I forgot to do all kinds of stuff I'm talking about our, our fantastic sponsors, Bluegrass Beverages, Bluegrass Beverages, Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee. They have a sister sh- store, Sinkers in Nashville. Voted the best uh, Nashville liquor store, they're the reigning champs. But Bluegrass Beverages is just as good over at Hendersonville. Head over there, join the in crowd. We got some big contests coming up soon, coming up in July. So I'm sure those contests will be starting up in June. And the best way to know when that starts, join the in crowd at Bluegrass Beverages or Sinkers Beverages. Um, Go to paulkarski.com, sign up and subscribe there. And you will get to see the way, 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 way too early. 104 days early. 53 man roster projection by Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. And if you need all the Will Levis content your heart could desire that is not have retread information, head over to stackinginbox.com. $4 a month will get you articles written by me and Trey John Watkins. $5 a month will get you articles written by both of us and film articles and big boards and all that stuff from Stoney Keeley stackinginbox.com. You can follow me on Twitter at FWordsPod. This has been Football and Other F-Words and you have just been effed.